The Redemption of Babel, a devotional for the season of Lent, produced by Northside Church. Saturday, April 8th. It's Black Saturday. Our scripture passage today comes from Psalm 88, verses 5 through 6. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. So today is um, called Black Saturday or Holy Saturday because this is the day that Jesus uh, spends in the tomb uh, the entire day. The day before resurrection, total darkness. Today is a day of mystery, it is a day of darkness, it is a day of death. It is the day that uh, God is dead in a very real sense. Um, and so uh, I thought today what we could do is talk a little bit about what that means uh, for us as the church, um, as well as reflect on the death of Jesus uh, in this moment before Easter. My first thought, you know, you use this phrase, God is dead. And I know, I know we talk about Jesus as God, right? If we want to get into this technicalities of the Trinity, um, I'm thinking, you know, God, you know, God in heaven uh, is not dead, right? I mean, the world has killed God's son and the fully man, fully divine being that Jesus was and is, is in the tomb. Uh, we still have God in heaven in this moment. Um, and my first thought on this day is, what is God feeling? Ooh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. what is... What is it like, I mean, to be God and to look down on this creation that you have made and this creation has killed your gift to them? And whether you believe God is um, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful and knew this was happening from the beginning or not, either way, it doesn't matter. Like, it still happened, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm just I'm reflecting on that today. What is God's experience of this day? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um obviously, I think you're right in the sense of, you know, God in heaven, God, maybe we say God the Father if we're talking about it in trinitarian terms. Even God the Holy Spirit uh still still very much active. Um but this incarnation of God has been killed uh, by humanity who uh, completely rejected him. He goes to the grave with really nobody uh, fully recognizing what this was all about with possible exception of a couple different Marys, right? Mary's mother, maybe Mary Magdalene. But this is um, truly a moment where we realize that Death is is a part of life. It is a part of all of our lives. Something that we have we have seen, all of us have seen in our lives, but none of us have experienced. And it becomes this thing um that really sits there and as you think about God experiencing death or Jesus experiencing death, you know, what what does God feel about that? You know, how does God see that? How did Jesus feel about that? Um, and, and I like that 
that there's this moment between Jesus's death and his resurrection, that there's this time and this space for us to kind of sit back and think about what it means to sit in the darkness. Yeah. Our Psalm today, we pulled a couple of verses from Psalm 88. It was one of my favorite Psalms, even though it is probably the, one of the darkest passages in scripture. And I think the reason why it exists in, in scripture is to remind us that God is with us in these moments, right? That God experiences these moments, that God has experienced this. And that no matter how dark things get, that we, we're not ever truly, totally alone. Um, the, the language that Psalm 88 gives us, I think, is helpful in the sense of giving us you know, as language does, I and mean, as we've talked about already in this devotional and in several other places, language is that ordering of our internal kind of feeling. It's the ordering of our internal thoughts and how we're thinking, and really it's the ordering of how we see the world. Language gives order and shape to those things. That's why we call, you know, why John was, uh, why John called Jesus the Word of God. He is the mm-hmm. language of God, the ordering force of the universe that gives meaning to the chaos, right? So even in these moments where we feel that we have been abandoned or that we are in deep grief or pain, we feel like we are just completely swallowed by the darkness, like probably how Jonah felt when he got swallowed by the whale, that there is a language that can help bring some meaning to that, even if that meaning is simply grief and pain, right? Even if we can express yeah. that. Well, I think that's that's the point, right? To express that, to be able to express that feeling to God, even when we feel like God is not there, because it's okay to feel that. It's okay to feel totally alone, and sometimes we do. And that's that's the beauty of this to me is that Scripture gives us language to put that feeling in a posture towards a God who we may not think is listening, we may not think is there. We may be having a moment when we believe God doesn't hear us or see us. But it's okay to express that because it's a, it's a real human thing on, you know, on this side of the grave. And when we've, you know, maybe seen someone go to the grave or we see someone, people around us are on the, we feel like they're on the way to the grave, you know, or yes. whatever it is, mm-hmm. feeling alone for any reason. Um, it's not an easy thing, obviously, to talk about, but it is something that I think is very, uh, not just cathartic, but important. To be able to to be able to say that, to be able to to express that and and work our way through that, Psalm eighty eight is one of the only psalms, uh, and in fact, it may be the only psalm. There's one other, uh, Psalm one thirty seven, I think, that ends in a very negative and bad tone. Most of these psalms, these lament psalms, start off lamenting, uh, but they always return to uh, glorifying God and and lifting God and and saying that I know that God has me in this and that God's going to pull me out of this. Uh, it's kind of a meditative, meditative process where you start off by meditating on your pain and rise up to this place where God brings comfort and joy. Um, and most other Psalms, including the Psalm that Jesus quotes from the cross itself, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22, even that Psalm ends with God rising, raising up and bringing, um, bringing comfort. Psalm 88 ends with the Psalmist saying, you have taken... You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. <laughs> the end. Uh, and there's something powerful about that in the sense that um, 
there is no escape here. The complete the psalmist is left in this complete darkness. And if there's going to be, uh, if there's going to be a redemption or a salvation that happens in Psalm eighty-eight, it's going to have to happen in a different psalm. Something completely new is going to have to come along. And there's mm-hmm. something about that, about turning the page and and moving to a different place. Yeah. That that is that is definitely happening here in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's something uh, that I think we we could. We could spend a lot of time reflecting on, or should spend a lot of time reflecting on. Yeah. But even that, even if the psalmist feels this way, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. And this is something that um, I want to explore just a, just for a minute. The idea that that this the, whoever's writing this psalm, whether it be David or somebody else, um, this is how they feel. Yeah. And they're expressing something that they feel, and that feeling is real. But the reality around them may not actually match how they feel. And this is, I think, what darkness and sympathy, or not sympathy, this is what darkness and despair and pain does to us, is that it corrupts and darkens our view of what is actually real. And yeah. so we create a dark reality around us. You know, we use, uh, sometimes misuse this language to create some things that aren't, simply aren't the case. Uh, it, the psalmist obviously crying out to God in, in the psalm is implicitly stating that God is with him, that God can mm-hmm. hear this, right? Yeah. So darkness is not his only friend, but that's how it feels. That's yeah. what it looks like. I, I'm reminded of another psalm. I think that pairs well with this one in conversation, and that's Psalm 139, where it's a famous psalm. People have heard this. starts off, you know, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. But later on in the psalm, as he's trying to figure out how he can get away from God or can he get away from God, he says in verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light, uh, I'm sorry, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Mm. And the very next verse is, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, right? I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So there is this sense in which, even though we may feel we are abandoned and alone, God is still there. Uh, recently, for my Hebrew Bible class, we were reading the laments and Jeremiah and some of the Psalms. And one of our assignments was to write our own lament. And I chose to leave my, we had a very specific assignment and it was to, you know, here's the, the outline of the Psalm and the structures of it. Right. And, you know, even if you go down in the darkness, the Psalm generally ends like you were talking about with a positive note. And I chose to ignore the rules and uh, <laughs> leave my lament in the darkness. Cause I was thinking about Psalm 88 and it was just, I was writing it and that's where I was. And that, it felt appropriate and I explained what I was doing to the professor and um, she said you know I, I hear you and you know you explained you know your your, your point and sometimes we don't always feel that that ending note of praise sometimes we do end in the darkness but she said something you have to remember is that these psalms are not always a single person they're not always meant to be to, rep- to represent one single voice sometimes it's the congregation it's the people around you it's the community that finishes it out And even if you, as the psalmist, as the person, as a single voice, can't get to that place of light right now, the congregation can finish it for you. That's interesting. The people around you can finish it for you. Yeah. 
And I think that's a cool, it's a cool way to think about it. And I think that plays with what you're talking about, that sometimes we do feel very alone and sometimes we feel alone in the middle of a bunch of people. And that's okay. That's real. And that is totally valid. Um, It's a real feeling. But like you said, it doesn't always mean that that's the entire reality. Yeah. And and that's another reason why we need each other. Right. To help reshape reality and keep us anchored in, in the reality that God has created for us. That's really one of the big functions of Scripture altogether is to keep us anchored in this view of the world that God uh, is very much real and very much alive in. In a very real sense, this Saturday is is the culmination of something that really begins on Maundy Thursday. It begins with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and him praying and saying, you know, he takes his disciples into the garden and, and he prays, you know, if there's any other way for this to be done, if this cup can pass from me, you know, that'd be great if you don't mind, right? Because he's standing <laughs> please, on the verge please. of this darkness. Like what he sees, what he's afraid of is this moment, yeah. the moment on Saturday where he's going to be dead. Um, and really, in a sense, we, we, we focus a lot on Jesus dying on the cross, and, and that's a good thing. But it's really in the moment, at this moment in Gethsemane, that Jesus dies. Because this is the moment where he lays down his will and he goes completely full on into God's will. That's the moment where Jesus dies. And everything that happens after that happens because it's God's will, because this is what needs to happen and this is what's going to happen. But Jesus doesn't die. His body dies on the cross, but his will dies right here in the garden, right? And there is this this real um, sense in which I think Jesus, you know, he, he takes his disciples with them and... Uh, and he takes the, the inner circle, J- Peter, James, and John, even further into this this moment. And he comes back after he prays, he comes back and he finds them sleeping. And he's like, wake up, don't sleep. You know, otherwise you'll fall, get up and pray. Otherwise you'll fall into temptation. Yeah. And there's a sense in which I think really Jesus is projecting. He's projecting his own fear mm. onto the disciples. Why is he praying this prayer three different times? Lord, you know, Lord, your will, not my will is because he is trying to pray his way through the last temptation that he'll ever face, which is that he can just bolt and run at this point. Yeah. Right in that moment. And now he's he's praying through that temptation and he is staying awake and he is staying awake and realizing what is about to happen mm-hmm. and fully embracing that as God's will. The reason why I like to focus on that moment and why I think it might be important for us to think about today on Black Saturday is that not a lot of us, probably none of us, are ever going to be crucified for our faith. We're never going to be uh, probably even executed for our faith. That's not something that, that we have much fear of, although it's all, always a possibility. Sure. But this moment in the garden is something that we face. It's something that we face every single day. Whether We're going to lay down our will for God's will. That death of will, death of self that we've yeah. been talking about, that is what it means to allow the garden to be planted in the, in the city of our hearts. It's something that, that this entire project has been about, this entire ministry of Christ, this entirety of creation, is what was it that Adam and Eve failed to do? What was it that Cain failed to do? You know, this is to accept God's will and trust that. And now Jesus has fully done that here in the garden on, on Monday, Thursday. And the result of it is now Saturday, Black Saturday, Jesus is dead. And now the hope, now now the next move is God's move, <laughs> right? It's not, yeah. and that's a, it's an important thing to realize. I think 
something that we don't spend a lot of time putting thought into is that Jesus did not raise himself. Jesus didn't just wake up, huh. right? Yeah. Jesus didn't resurrect himself, that he was resurrected by God, and that there was this whatever relationship, however you want to try to unpack that in the Trinitarian way of thinking, right? That, that's, that Jesus put his entire will and his entire hope, his entire future in God's hands. And this Saturday is the day where it is complete darkness. And there's a, there's a bit of a pause in saying, well, is God going to do this or not? Yeah. And I think we all can find, we can relate to that moment where we completely go down the path that God has set for us. And then there's a moment where we're like, ah, this doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think waiting for that. Yeah. I think that's important. Right. Um, and again, you can get into a conversation of omniscience and what all that looks like, but right. I, I don't know. I like to think that in that moment, in that moment when Jesus is praying that, and then Jesus says, you know, okay, I'm all right, here I am. Do whatever it is that is going to happen. Whatever will be, will be. I would like to think that Jesus doesn't know that this is going to end with an Easter Sunday resurrection, right? Like, right. cause what he's facing is this, like you're saying, this horrible, gruesome thing. And that yeah i think i think exactly right you're what you're saying is important that we we think about that well i think it's even powerful to think that even even if jesus knows 100 percent that he's going to be resurrected that death is still scary and that death is still something that you want to avoid uh and yeah. that's important for us because i think a lot of times you know all every single one of us are afraid of death it is the number one thing that drives our days and our nights right it, yeah. it seeps its way into everything that we do think and say believe uh, we just need to confess that and be real about that. And here's a moment where even Jesus himself, though he ev- he knows 100%, it's not even really faith for him, it's just knowledge that he is going to be resurrected. Even then, he's still like, ah. <laughs> there's still a little bit, not hesitancy, but in a sense, there's like, I, I can't do this without you, God, you know, doing this in, in me. Uh, and there's something, there's something comforting about that, I think. So you think Jesus Jesus knew he was going to be resurrected? I think he he had some inside information <laughs> on what was what God said he was going to do. And in a sense, that I mean, it was faith. You know, I said it was knowledge, but it is faith. He he has full faith that God is going to do what God has said God's going to do. Sure. Right. I guess we do get the whole, you know, tear this temple down in, right. in three days or we'll raise it up again. Yeah, but I mean, you're right. Either way, like it's it's that moment of faith. Believing in the impossible, what seems impossible, what seems so otherworldly, even if you're Jesus. Yeah. And still facing that. Well, I hope today is a day of reflection for all of us. Um, Take a moment today and think about Jesus in the grave and what that means. What that means to you. It'll speak to each of us in different ways, I think. But take a moment to reflect on that and hold your breath.